hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chits, Bob. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 394 of the Stupid Cancer Show, kicking off season 19. We are the voice of Young Adult Cancer, coming to you from downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year Young Adult Brain Cancer survivor. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing Young Adult Cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Matt, your co-producer, Mallory Rivera. I'd like to welcome all of our first-time and returning listeners. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. Sucks, huh? We can change the world one chemo infusion at a time. All right, kicking off again, season, if you can believe it, season 19 of the stupid cancer show comedy conquers cancer writer actor and young adult survivor paul lawton has used his experience to create compelling original content to serve the young adult committee and share his story paul joins us to discuss the art of survivorship and the impact of comedy on the cancer journey with our survivor spotlight on young adult survivor of uterine cancer the one and only melinda hood live here in studio and with that we christen season 19 how did that happen? It happened. Season 19. Wow, we got a full house here tonight. Hello, Mallory. Hello. How are you? Oh, I am just... What's your new word? I don't know. I haven't decided it yet. Swifty? Uh, I, well, I'd go with swell for the moment. Swell, okay. Cause, cause that's I've, your water bottle. That's my water bottle, and it's been my life for the moment. All so. the water things. All the happy, positive, hydrated things. Yeah. <laughs> and Laurel's back. She's still here <laughs> laughing her ass off. What, what's wrong with you? Oh, I just don't even know. Adjusting to all of our um, uh, unique qualities. <laughs> I like that. That was very good. Yes, yeah. it is. Fantastic. Says the un-American. Look. Who questioned the word center. Here is the deal. <laughs> Internationally, it is spelled R-E. Come on, Not here. People. We are special. We here? are young, scrappy, hungry, and we spell differently. <laughs> Don't notice the word international, not national. The United <laughs> States is not international. No. Nope. We here. don't use that metric system thing of yours. Here with the American English. Still tricky. Two years later, I'm still tricky. Bring back the U, people. Yes, exactly. 
And Noel's here drinking a Perrier, which I would hope he's imagining is a beer. Um, You're on the clock, how dude. How do you know what is in it? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, that it's just plain water, actually. Brings you back to summer camp when the counselors had magic water, which we didn't know what that meant at the time. It was like vodka. Pardon me? <laughs> yeah. Where was this? Summer camp. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just... Here in America, yeah. summer I camp. I like to say at my day theater camp, that was not a thing. No? So. Okay. It's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's Melinda if you Hood. have the traditional experience. And Melinda Hood, live in the house. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited. Well, I, I can't get enough of you. I see you like at everything you, we were discussing before the show to our listeners. Melinda has been a kind of the resident uh, ambassador to Stupid Cancer since probably like day one, day two, day three-ish. I think around like day three-ish because yeah, yeah. I think the first... The first OMG summit that I went to, I think, was in... Is that the Bare Naked Ladies or the one at Pace? No, that was the one at Pace. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was the one like at Pace. That was like when Kenny was 22 and thin. That was when I think Kenny had was oh. Kenny was an intern. Yes, like, he had was. Because yeah. he, he showed up late because, you know, he thought he wanted to attend his college uh, graduation. That's right. That whole thing where, like, the conference was the day he was graduating. Yes. I did that to him. <laughs> Plan in advance. And you wonder why he's gone now. Yeah. Miss you. Yeah. yeah. Here, Miss you, here's, Kenny. Here's to Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess that would be one of these things then. Okay. Oh. That's, all, that's all Kenny that, gets. That is harsh. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. One of these. That's Kenny with that. Anyway. <laughs> how was along. <laughs> the, uh, whenever you get back to school, it's like you have to write that what I did on my summer vacation essay. So I, I did nothing. During my summer vacation, but we did work technically during the summer vacation. We did. We were here having checking jobs. away. Yeah, preparing for all the fun things that are that are happening. The the tsunami of fall activities. So many things. Yes, I I had a great summer vacation. What'd you do? Uh, I went to Boston. For those that know me, I am a diehard Red Sox fan. So I uh, went with my husband and my parents. We went to uh, Fenway Park, and it was the first time that my dad had been to Fenway since he took me when he was when I was eight years old. Wow! Oh, wow. so yeah, so it was awesome. We took like the tour that they have at Fenway Park that was right before the game, so we got to watch uh, batting practice from the Green Monster seats. Oh, the are, way up high! Yeah, which are like way up high. It's an amazing view of the park, and so we got to watch the game. Uh, excuse me, watch batting practice from up there, and my dad like the entire time just had this big smile on his face. He was like a five year old at Christmas. It was great. Well, I think we know who won summer vacation. Yep, <laughs> you win. <laughs> that sounds exciting. Yeah. It was it was fun, and like friends had weddings, which were awesome. Oh, speaking of weddings, during the break, didn't we go to Allie's wedding? Yes, it was yes. awesome. Yes, Allie was Ward, a, chief programming officer, time. got married. Very happy about that. It was a lot of fun. It that was gets, a lot of fun. See, that gets that that gets one of these. Yes, it's Allie Ward. <laughs> really big deal super cool uh no you also, did have a working summer vacation and by vacation i meant working yeah like the rest of us here <laughs> like the rest of us here. <laughs> think for a second because exactly. i did go on vacation you did i did went to cape exactly. cod it was wonderful good really nice so yeah we do have a tsunami of events <laughs> coming up this fall that was it i just cut no. them off no, just always so talkative in the that, backlash. <laughs> wow, en- chatterbox. Enough out of you. That's enough with Noel. Stop Come on. talking. You just, like, don't Please. Know when to, you have no idea when to shut baby up. baby in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> well said. 
aren't we a mess today? Uh, well, we're a special bunch. So anyway, uh, I know this is short notice to our listeners who are chiming into this podcast that we're taping right now. But this particular Saturday, September 17th, is OMG. Did I put the wrong date? No, it's the 17th. Yeah. Is OMG East, our fourth annual New York East-based conference. Super excited. That it is. It's, it's good times. Good, have, good times. Uh, and we have Cancer Liberty's uh, Italia Ricci of Chasing Life fame and many other things fame. Uh, and coming up, designated Survivor fame this Wednesday. Next Wednesday. No. Next the Wednesday. 21st. Okay, next Wednesday. Yeah, so clock. excited yeah, for that. Yeah, very excited. Her hashtag is Italia Kiefer something. We have to make up some kind of hashtag for her. Kiefer Ricci. I don't know. Ooh, rough. No, not good. <laughs> Says the social media person. We'll figure something <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. So, and um, Suleika Jawad. Very of, excited of for her super to Super epic cancer survivor, Emmy winning New York Times fame. I want to stuff. find out where her like cabin in Vermont is. That I she's know. always posting photos from. I'm like, I'm from Vermont. I can I come and visit? Yeah, her cabin in Vermont <laughs> yes. is a real cabin. It's true. <laughs> it's a big deal. Cabin. So I'm really excited for her to keynote. It's right. that's going to be a lot of fun. So for those of you listening in on this show, if you have the chance, please join us this Saturday, September 17th at OMGSummit.org. You can register. Tickets still on sale. It's free, and join your community. Yes. And if you're unable to make it during the day, if you have a prior engagement, we're having an after-party meetup at Manhattan proper. It's our go-to spot, isn't it? That is. Our, it's so conveniently located to where we have OMG East, and it was great. Because when I contacted them, they like, hey, we'd like to have our after-party there again. They're like, oh, yeah, we love having you guys. Yeah. You guys are great. So, yeah, they're it's a nice place. And, of course, to make the people on the West Coast satisfied that they uh, at least have our attention to a certain extent. We have OMG West, second annual OMG West in Irvine. We do. Halloween weekend. Birthday weekend. Birthday weekend. Birthday weekend. More important than Halloween weekend. I, I mean, birthday weekend and Halloween weekend collide, so they're yeah. one and the same for me. So birthday weekend. Yay. So we have Emily uh, McDowell of Emily McDowell Studios and the Empathy Cards movement. Ooh. She will be our keynote, which Kicking is really exciting. Super oh, exciting to have go. her there. It's Okay. You and Scott missed... Uh, no, Scott never missed a West, did he? No, and I believe Scott is already registered for... Yeah, so yeah, Scott, Scott Slater yeah. is, the, uh, is the I guess, the, the other legacy turtle that made it to the sea, stupid cancer volunteer like Melinda. Well, Scott has... Um, Scott Slater has the designation of he has been to every OMG, every cancer con. He's been to all of them. He's been to all of them. So it's like him and my dad, basically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it spoils down to. Yeah. So we have the mayor and then the deputy mayor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he would be deputy mayor. Scott Slater. What a guy. Testicular cancer, right? Yeah. Ten years. Is he on ten years now? Yeah. Yes. He he is on his ten years. Yeah. He um he's actually uh doing like a whole running thing for his uh ten year cancerversary. He did a huge uh running series in Disney World in January, and then he was running in Disneyland last weekend, and I think it's like in two weeks, he's going to go to Disneyland Paris and run a half marathon there. So he's not really very active. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Which is all the shame. Inspiring others to Mm -hmm. run. Yes, yes. One Disney run at a time. Yes. (laughs) And I guess in the uh, continuity of the onslaught of (laughs) fall events, we're having our second annual big uh, fall fundraiser here in New York City called Toast and Evening with Stupid Cancer. Tickets are still on sale. Sponsorships are available. It's going to be a really great night of uh, hope and celebrating. And it, it is the kickoff 
of our 10-year anniversary as a nonprofit organization. Ooh, and so, I have I have my fancy dress all picked out. Wow. Yeah. So and there can... are some sneak peeks oh, online yeah? to go check out what those toast attendees can, you know, win. All that stuff. Yes, all the all things the that you can things. bet on. So that Ooh. website is toast.stupidcancer.org. Yes. And it's on October 13th. Yes, right here at the NASDAQ, where if you follow our social, we had some epic shots from the NASDAQ last fall. We rang the bell. It's a really big deal. Seminal day in the uh, annals of this organization to ring the NASDAQ bell. That was a good day. That was. It was fun. Well, we already broke the ice and introduced Melinda, but I'll just play your intro anyway because you deserve sort of an epic cue here, and I'm going to rickroll you just for uh, for no reason. For funsies. Melinda Hood is a young adult survivor of uterine cancer, a Vermont native who transplanted to New York 15 years ago. She works as a community events coordinator at the New York Roadrunners. She's also an active member of the New York City chapter of, of Stupid Cancer and a four-time half-marathon runner for Team Stupid Cancer. Please welcome, well, re-welcome, Melinda Hood. <laughs> so... I was actually on a call today with, um, so there's a, a, an organization called Pill Pack. They help you consolidate your prescriptions into like a single pack and they send you like a month of, of strips you tear off. Oh yeah, they, I've seen, I think I've seen their ads on Facebook before. Yeah, they, they're, they actually really make a difference. I've been using them for a while, but they have a, they're creating content now. So they interviewed me around the value of what they offer to ease the patient burden of stress and renewals and managing all your prescriptions. And the guy interviewing me asked me, well, Tell me why young adult cancer is so different. Why is it why why is it a de- what big deal? And I started off by saying, well, it's not really better or worse, it's just different. And well, tell me how it's different. I said, well, people have functioning uteruses when they get cancer when they're young adults. And he's like, "Oh, I never thought about that." So it made me really think about what is our public story? What is the digestible to the public, the world outside our, our bubble? Why does young adult cancer matter? It's really Honestly, it could be anything, but in our world, it's isolation and fear and all the navigation and stuff. But to the public is, I might never be a mom because the doctor made that decision for me. So we look at gynecologic cancer as the obvious go-to yeah, for what that means, working uterus, working ovaries, working functioning, everything. And it becomes almost a women's health issue, which this guy started to wrap his head around. So it's really women's, well, guys too, but it's a little harder for women. It's more, it's more expensive for women. And we just did a study with some academic centers and have some data that will be published shortly that only 13% of women today, 2016, are made were are or were made aware that their uh, chemo or radiation surgery could potentially risk their ability to be a mom one day, whether or not they had kids or not. Oh, yeah. It was something like when I um, – I've done a lot of – research like before i did what i do now i was working as a visual researcher so for me i'm always the kind of person like googling stuff on the internet or like when i find something i'm like all right to the library and (laughs) um uh it wasn't until i was actually reading in a book myself that i realized that my cancer treatment would put me into menopause right it was something that i had no idea was something that was going to happen. And in my head of thinking, I'm like, I'm like, why didn't my doctor tell this to me? Well, eight years ago is not really excusable. 20 years ago, maybe. But you were how old? I was 27. Right. And you had a working uterus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it <laughs> was functional then. 
It was trying to kill me, but it was functional. But I mean, you had endometrial <laughs> cancer. When you know, we think about ovarian and cervical, and no, endometrial is like, didn't like Fran Drescher have that? Or uterine cancer? Yeah, she yeah. did. There, I was actually reading, there's a distinction between uterine cancer and endometrial cancer. There are, there, um, the distinction is, well, they're both of the uterus, but what endometrial cancer is, is it's a cancer of the lining ah. of your uterus. So they're, depending on like how it's staged, depends on like how bad it is, because if it's staged higher, it means that it's like penetrated through the uterus and possibly to other places. Right. So going to the gynecologic cancers angle that this, I'm, I'm channeling this entire hour-long conversation with this journalist <laughs> who really didn't understand young adult cancer, which is not, I, I have no problem with that. Let's educate you. But where he seemed to click was around women's health and fertility. And then we got to the issue of prevention and early detection. And that kind of doesn't exist for anything gynecologic cancer with the possible exception of cervical, but even still. Yeah, like when I um when I had gotten um like that you know that appointment with your doctor where they tell you you have cancer and you're trying to process everything. I was like, "Well, what do you I'm like, "Well, what do you mean I had cancer? I had a pap smear last week and you told me I was fine." Right. And a pap smear only tests for cervical cancer. So right. they like take out like the little like, you know, that thing like I'm sure everyone remembers from science class of like the anatomy like the anatomy it's like well with a pap smear we go here your cancer is up here right and that's the problem with a lot of gynecological cancers is that the testing for them is extremely invasive well what were your symptoms what like that that goes back to you know like i tell my story all the time i went six months misdiagnosed what was your story how did this all start well how it all started for me was i was one of those people like um like you get your period monthly i didn't always get my period every month like i could go a couple months without having a period but my doctor was like oh well you know you get your period so you're fine whatever um but then as as i got older it just started to get incredibly heavy to the point where like i couldn't function wow um like i remember just being i was uh working as a barista at starbucks and i i had to go home one day i'm like uh like leaving the store with like my apron tighter on my waist because oh. it yeah embarrassing but yeah. yeah um and so i went to you know i made an appointment with a doctor like up until that you know i think it would have been like a couple of years before i had like a women's physical or whatever but i went to the doctor and you know perfectly great doctor like ran some tests did like a a basic exam she's like oh well you know um, we'll, uh, we'll do some other tests but you're young you're healthy i'm not worried don't you be worried and then famous last words. Yeah, yeah, famous last words. And so it was like a couple more weeks and um uh like they're like, Oh well we'll put you on the pill that should regulate stuff. It didn't. It like things just weren't getting any better. And so finally I the they took me in for what they call a DNC, which is basically they put you under and they just sorry, this is kind of graphic. They go in and they basically scrape out the lining of your uterus. Mm -hmm. And so when the do um when the doctor was in there, he was like, Yeah, stuff didn't really look right. So I sent it to pathology. And it was it was two days after that where I got the phone call while I was at work mm -hmm. of my doctor saying, Oh yeah, I need you to come into the office. We think you have cancer. Yeah, that was a phone call I got while I was at work. All right. So let's let's take that nugget for a second. Yeah. How would you have liked it to have been delivered to you? It would have been carrier pigeon. Well, I like you kind of feel like when you're at work, you get ambushed with that information because I was like in, you know, not that kind of like mindset. And so because I got I got the call in the afternoon that he wanted me to come in 
the next day. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish it would have been like, oh, yeah, can you come in the next day so we can talk about your um, results? Would that have been worse because you would have been worried? or what's... No, because I wouldn't have been, I was 27, yeah. young and healthy. I had nothing to worry about. So, I, like, I wouldn't have worried. Whereas, like, that entire night, because I had someone tell me, we think you have cancer. So that, like, entire, like, the whole, like, that night I didn't sleep. The whole next day I was just... I was a mess. Yeah. And then like I go to my doctor and of course it's a, you know, you, you go to the gynecologist and so they're telling you this stuff and they're like, yeah, you know, the basic, you know, the, the form of treatment for this is we have to remove your uterus. So right there, it's like, well, they have to remove my uterus. I, I, I guess I'm not having kids. And so you find this out and you walk out of the office and what's in the waiting room, a bunch of ladies with babies yeah. and you're like leaving crying. Yeah. Not awkward. Not, not horrifying. Yeah, not awkward. Not, not damaging. Yeah, no, no, no. No mental stress there. No, no, no. Eight years later, no mental stress yeah, at all. Zero. <laughs> so that goes to, you know, how are young adults different? That doesn't happen when you're six or 60. Yeah. Like, I remember one of the things that I, like, when people talk about, they're like, oh, well, you know, how could it be, have like, awkward? You didn't have to have chemo or anything like that. But when I was, I, I a story that I tell is I was in my doctor's office, you know, just headphones on flipping through people magazine waiting for my appointment and this woman who was like sitting across from me she like leaned over and she's like oh it's it's so sweet that you're here to support your mom (laughs) and i just kind of like smile and then my name got called so i went in so that my cover was blown yeah but it's just it's it's weird things like i remember my mom said to me once she's like yeah she's like menopause is not one of those experiences i thought i'd be sharing with one of my daughters yeah like it it's weird in that sense too. Actually, what you, I remember that that was a trigger for me that you mentioned that that story about being thought of as a caregiver because I, I if we go back to the time you're on the show in the past, I think I said the same thing where I was 21 at Sloan Kettering in pediatrics and I'm in the waiting room waiting to go in for radiation and there were other parents there in their early 20s who had young children in the same treatment ward Mm. and at one point my dad had stepped away to the bathroom whatever and they said oh how old is your child and i said i'm the child Mm. so there you go yeah more stigma so you mentioned your follow-up was simply the hysterectomy yeah it was i had um I had a hysterectomy. I don't mean simply. Like yeah, that, no, 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 no. <laughs> <I've>, oh, <laughs> it's just a hysterectomy. Eight years I've, you know, yeah. after eight years I've learned not to take that personal when, when people say that. But yeah, so I had a hysterectomy and um, my ovaries were also removed. Um, was that against your wishes or wasn't it even brought up to you as an option? It or? was... Uh, <sighs> It wasn't really, I wasn't really given an option. My mm-hmm. doctor was kind of like, well, this is the way I do things. And like, Whoa. and was like, more or less said to me, well, without your uterus, you're not going to really need your ovaries anyway. Like this was, yeah. 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 I've had conversations like, especially with like, like Jen Rackman and stuff like that. She's like, wait, this happened. Yeah. And like, plus now, cause when they remove your um, when they remove your ovaries, that puts you into what they call surgical menopause. Mm-hmm. But I know other uterine cancer survivors who they were either able to keep their ovaries or at least be able to keep one ovary. So they still have that. Um, Something to harvest later on, perhaps. Yeah. Right. Um, and like there are all these after effects now that they're finding about. Like, I think it was 
I don't know if it was Stupid Cancer that posted it or someone else who had like posted it on Facebook. It was an it was an um an article that they were talking about how um like everybody knows about chemo brain. Yes. And one of the things that there was a study that they found, like they found like um, women, not just cancer survivors, but women who, for whatever reason, went through surgical menopause at a young age. And they were doing this study and they found out that because of like the hormonal changes, there's actually a cognitive decline. I can believe it. And one of those things are like, well, that 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 kind of explains some things because I am I'm going back to school now. And there are like. I like I find myself not absorbing things as quickly as I felt that I used to mm-hmm. and like having to study in different ways and like take notes in different ways just because I like find myself ha- like like different like memory tricks and things like that. So. So again, so the third bucket that I keep going to this journalist interview today mm-hmm. was dating. We went from fertility to actually we, we jumped around, but like from from fertility to late detection and no screenings to dating to costs mm-hmm. like this was the I just listened to him to figure out what was best for him to understand you recently got married yes I'm approaching um my 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 one-year wedding anniversary is actually next month so let's talk about that being single with no uterus and how do you make sense of that world and what does that mean for your self-image and you know it, this is a young adult issue it's like it's so it's so hard and so confusing because there's no like there's no right or wrong way to tell whomever you're trying to get into a relationship with or you're in a relationship with that you can't have kids there's like there's really no right or wrong way it's like it's very personal it depends on the person and everything like that and really the per the like the the person who really helped me see that is um uh timika felder Yes, Tamika is a young adult cervical cancer survivor who runs a wonderful nonprofit called Survivor, C-E-R-V-I-V-O-R. Yeah, and she's she's been on panels and a speaker at CancerCon at, at and, and at OMG in the past, and it's just like the hearing her talk about it and like her experiences and everything like that. It kind of gave me like courage in a sense that like there's there's nothing wrong with me. There's just something different about me. Right. And that, uh, yeah, like I, I, when my husband and I were talking about getting married, like we had the whole like kids conversation and stuff like that. And it's like one of the hardest conversations that I ever had to have was, you know, this, this man who I love dearly and I want to marry and to have the conversation of like, if, if you don't like, if you want to have kids that's okay but i'm i'm not a person with whom you can have kids and like so like in the biological sense yes in the biological sense and so we just had to have like that whole conversation of like if if kids are not in our future is that okay right and that's an incredibly hard conversation to have and just to like take the step back of like okay well if kids are something that you want to have in the biological sense and I can't do that, you know, I'll be really hurt. No hard feelings. You can, you know, you can walk away. Like you gave I, him an out. Yeah. And, but he was like, no, it's, it's okay. So you mentioned Jennifer Rackman. I'll 
give some context. Jennifer mm-hmm. Rackman, a fellow gynecologic cancer survivor, ovarian mm-hmm. cancer in her early 20s, had just moved in with her boyfriend, uh, her now husband, Chad, when she was diagnosed, uh, had a hysterectomy, was not given any options, woke up without a uterus and ovaries the next day, rhetorically speaking. And they reconciled their relationship, got married, uh, started a life together, knowing that they could now have biological children. And then came to, I guess, an, an agreement, an understanding a couple of years later to do surrogacy. And they have a beautiful four-year-old boy now. And he's remarkable, but it speaks to how should we really have to buy our kids because cancer took that away from us. I'm just a customer of IVF as well. I bought my twins. You know, it's a horrible way to think about it that way. But is that really a civil liberty that we deserve not to have to buy our kids? And reconciling that, again, Jen and going back to Jen and Chad, you know, yes, it's his sperm, but it's not her eggs. And they pick the surrogate. But is that something you can reconcile? You can have love regardless, and this is what your family means today. Modern family is, you know, it's not ours. It's half ours. It's partially ours. It's, it was made in a lab, and that's the young adult cancer story as well. So, I mean, your husband, yeah. Dan, who we all know and love, is a great guy. Kudos to him for being that champion to you. Yeah, he's, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about finding your community. You know, you are a consummate example of what Stupid Cancer was was created for 10 years ago to be a a resource to make you not feel horrified, stigmatized, alone, different, disabled, dysfunctional, not normal. All those things that we were that live in our head when these things happen to us. What was it like for you when you first found out that we existed? It was like it was one of those things because I I when when I was diagnosed and when I was going through treatment, I was, you know, my friends and family were amazing, like could not have asked for a better support system, but there was only so much that they could do and understand. So when I, when I heard about stupid cancer, it was a friend of mine had sent me an email article about when stupid cancer's website was like times like top 50. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's how long ago that was. It was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, That was the summer of 07. Really? The Time Magazine Best 50 website. Oh, okay. Summer 07. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, so a friend of mine had found out about that and then sent it to me and I was like, oh, well, I'm like, they're in New York. And you guys, like when I found out about it, you guys were having uh, OMG, uh, like probably like a couple months after that. So yeah. like I'd sent it for OMG and it was one of those things that was, uh, I was living in New Jersey at the time and it was like a rainy day and I was like, I don't know if I want to go to Manhattan, but, <laughs> but I went and it was overwhelming and amazing at the same time it was like i i don't know where i would be in my life right now without stupid cancer and the friends that i've made and uh the the resources that i've been able to reach out to and everything like that like i um like i say you know like you know my doctors cured me of can uh, of cancer but stupid cancer saved my life like there's no like was that me- your original quote? Were you the originator of that? I don't know. We've been using I- it for years. I don't know if Just I was. Just say yes. Yeah. Fine. I'll take credit for it. <laughs> that was me. Yes. Yeah. That was me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to uh, cut to break and I want to bring you back. But the story itself is just so compelling. I guess I'd ask you if you could have had one intervention, what would that have been? And 
to, to make it suck less, perhaps one one thing that could have happened that didn't, and what I know we're eight years later, things have changed dramatically. There is national narrative and communities and dozens of organizations doing this now. It's been such a a um, cottage industry, if you would, mm. of of direct services for the younger community. But going back eight years, what do you wish you had that you didn't? Now that you know if you could have, mm-hmm. and what what would you say to somebody diagnosed today? Um. What I had wish I had had then was stupid cancer um, always tells people, you know, be your own advocate. If you don't like something, say something, you know, stand, you know, stand up for yourself. This is, you know, it's it's your body. It's your life like that kind of thing. And I wish I had had someone say that to me then to empower me because there's there's the kind of there's sometimes in the back of my head that was like. If I had stood up to my doctor and said, no, I want to keep my ovaries, would I still have my ovaries today? Like there is that like what if in the back of my head, like if I'd had that voice telling me like um, basically if I felt that I had any sense of empowerment because I think um, cancer takes that away from you when there's all of a sudden something in your body that's trying to harm you that you can't control. Well said. There you go. All right, let's uh, cut to the news here, but let's give Melinda a uh, resounding applause. More to come with her after the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Stupid Cancer does a whole lot of awesome things, and here's what's happening right now. The OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults started in 2008. In eight years, 13 summits have brought together more than 6,000 people. On September 17th, join the Young Adult Cancer Movement in New York City. OMG East is all about community. Learn more at omgsummits.org. Join us for a different kind of social mixer. No pressure, no judgments, no stigma. Best of all, no sitting around in a circle sharing your feelings. Find meetups in your area at events.stupidcancer.org or host your own. Just go to stupidcancer.org slash meetup. We presently have meetups coming up in New York as the OMG After Party, uh, Tacoma, Washington, Las Vegas, New York, and Irvine, Texas. So we want to hear from you. What do you want to hear more about? What do you want to hear us talk about? Who do you want to hear from? Tell us. Fill out our survey at stupidcancer.org slash podcast survey and get 10% off at the Stupid Cancer Store. That's stupidcancer.org slash podcast survey. Join the movement. Show how you get busy living in your stupid cancer gear. Shop at stupidcancerstore.org. That's stupidcancerstore.org. And finally, we want to see how you get busy living. So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to tag us at Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right, our main segment here, Paul Loudon, works in many capacities, sometimes as an actor, writer, or producer. With his company, Channel Surfing Studios, he creates original content and then organizes fundraiser screenings for people struggling with cancer. Please welcome young adult survivor to the Stupid Cancer Show, Paul Loudon. Paul. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hello to everyone there, and hello to everyone listening out there. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from the City of Angels, Hollywood, California. Oh, fantastic. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes. 
So uh, let's get right into it. The nitty gritty. You are a fabulous young adult cancer survivor. Thank you. I'll take that adjective and uh, I'll go with it. Fabulous. I like it. So let's I typically ask our guests to talk about their life perhaps a year before their diagnosis so we could frame how much it sucked when it happened and what it did to you. Okay. I think the operative word here is definitely suck. It's a it's a really a challenging situation as you know. So one year before I got sick, uh I was actually um living outside of the US. I was living in Prague in the Czech Republic. And I was working on commercials and movies and doing voiceovers for a living, actually in English, and producing theater, and walking the lovely streets of Prague every day and enjoying the culture there. Okay. I was actually just in Prague this spring. What a gorgeous city. So kudos to you for making that out there. Yeah, isn't it amazing? It's a, it's a fairy tale. Every time you see a movie where it looks like it's a fantasy world or fairy tale, it's most likely Prague or one or two other places. I was expecting either Jason Bourne or James Bond to be driving a Mini down every street. Uh, it happens regularly. It does. Yes, very impressive. <laughs> so then the shit hit the fan. Let's talk about that. Yes. I actually, uh, this was the second time I was living in, I had been living in Prague. I had moved back and... Unfortunately, I started feeling uh, pretty poor, and I ended up coming back to the U.S., and I don't exactly know why. It was more uh, of an instinctual reason because, you know, occasionally you feel bad. You have allergies or you get a cold or something like that, and I was doing incredibly well there, and for some reason I just decided to come back, and when I arrived back, 30 days later, I was uh, literally, and not exaggerating, it's no hyperbole, crawling into the ER at UCLA Santa Monica. What were your symptoms? Uh, well, it was really odd because at first I thought I was just having allergies. Uh, then I thought maybe I was just out of shape. Then I thought, okay, I, I drank too much uh, Czech beer, which is why I was winded. But what happened is once I crawled into the ER, it turned out that... Uh, my body was leaking into itself, that my left lung had zero capacity, was filled with fluid, and my right lung was at 87%. I was 13% away from drowning within myself, which is appropriate because I have a fear of water. So, <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Even though I grew up at the beach, at Imperial Beach, uh, I'm still a little bit scared of water. So that's that was my symptoms were uh, my stomach within 24 hours became what is known as distended. It got really big. And I always joked. I, I, I always told people I look like a drunk cowboy. You ever see those really tall, skinny uh, cowboys with the big hats and the jeans and they got those big old guts from drinking too much beer? Or I looked like I was at about six months pregnant, uh, most likely going to be on uh, TMZ for being the first pregnant man in the U.S., Actually, the second, because didn't that other guy have a baby also? If I yeah, recall. I thought he was from outside of the U.S., and then he came here with the baby. But either way, I, I, you know, we can go to daycare together and stuff. That's cool. Um, okay. I don't quite know what to do with that, but let's go forward. <laughs> so you, were you immediately diagnosed then and there, or did they, were they confounded by this young guy coming in with these random symptoms? They were confused because... 
they thought that there was some kind of virus that was being uh, transferred from Eastern Europe and Central Europe through the U.S., through flights. So they quarantined me, and they couldn't figure it out because the symptoms weren't clear. And after 72 hours of testing, they were able to figure out exactly what it was, even though at first they had absolutely no clue what was going on. And I was literally in an isolated, it looked like a chamber, it looked like something out of E.T., it looked like a, an alien movie, all this plastic and these doctors coming in with astronaut-looking outfits and big sterile gloves and so on. And But it took a, a couple of days until they actually figured it out. So drum roll, please. What was your cancer? Uh, Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There it is. Hey, man. NHL, bro. NHL. Good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, and it was stage four. Or as I later heard one of the nurses say, she didn't know I could hear. She said it was stage 4.5. Wow, I never heard that before. Yeah, I hadn't either because I didn't know there was more than a four. Uh, then I overheard someone else say that stage four is as far as you can go. Stage five, you pass away. Stage six, they put you six feet under. And stage seven, seven, you go to heaven. Did they really say that to you? Because that's kind of horrible. No, uh, I overheard uh, some people chatting uh, far away when I happened to be taking a little walking tour. Uh, and it wasn't anyone in the nursing staff. It was a group of people in another room who uh, were also going through the same struggle and they were trying to find ways to, you know, laugh, laugh in the face of, of adversity. And uh, that's, that was their way of just trying to deal with this incredibly difficult situation through a little bit of humor. I think that really encapsulates who you are as a person and how you've chosen to deal with this. I hate to say the word deal with it, but you've managed to channel all of this experience into a, a, a truly almost a renaissance level of, of content creation and storytelling and did that help shape what you were doing or were you already doing this and it just inspired you to get into this business well it's kind of interesting because I was already doing that and I was already producing live shows two to four shows per year a one hour live sketch comedy show and other productions whatever it may be and being involved in writing or producing videos and so on and it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, while I was in the hospital, people would ask me things like, <clears throat> is your life flashing in front of your eyes? Or what do you think about? Or what, what is going through your mind and this and that? And it was this odd, altruistic, almost unselfish selfishness is all I kept doing every day was visualizing and imagining an audience and me entertaining them because that's what brings true joy for me is creating something putting it on a stage and having the people out there in those seats having a wonderful time and that's that was kind of my therapy in fact when I recovered uh, I went into the doctor's office one time and 
he asked me a question and it caught me off guard. He said, uh, Paul, you know, in the office, we call you the miracle man, because uh, to be honest, not, no one really thought you were going to make it. Uh, we're happy that you're here. And we're just wondering how you're dealing with your, your PTSD, your post-traumatic stress disorder. And I responded simply by saying, uh, I think there must be some confusion, but uh, my illness was not caused from anything in the military. There, I, there was no, uh, I wasn't involved in fighting or what have you. And, and he explained to me that the post-traumatic stress disorder is not just from combat, it's from experiencing stress. And what I told him was, my way of handling it was preparing to make videos, was preparing to do live shows, was writing things that I knew would entertain and uh, people and make them laugh and put smiles on their faces. So my therapy here in Los Angeles was a lot cheaper than all the other people who go to therapy here. So it's interesting you point that out because, yes, PTSD is very typically associated with military fatigue. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are, you know, talking about it in the context of, of a cancer disease. Uh, we have a, a, a long-term stupid cancer ambassador here in studio, um, Melinda Hood, and uh, she is an eight-year uterine cancer survivor, endometrial, mm -hmm. like, endometrial yeah. cancer survivor. And we had this conversation recently as well, is what is the role of accepting military terminology when, in fact, it's authentic, but does it help you give context or, is it, or does it make you feel sort of disassociated? Mel, what did you – I mean, you were – you're living proof of the survivorship issues that that Paul's talking about. Well, well, for me, in terms of like, because uh, I know, like, especially at CancerCon, we had a whole panel that I attended that was about you know cancer and uh, the uh, gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, exactly, and uh, PTSD, and it was one of those things where, in some cases, I felt like it wasn't a label or a diagnosis that necessarily applied to me. Um, but then again, it's one of those it's one of those things that is sometimes hidden because it's not when you're dealing with something like that. It's not something that is um, that physically manifests. It's not something you can see. So in right. that essence, I always thought it was a little weird. So, Paul, did it did it take you by surprise or was it did it wind up being like a comfort that someone was actually acknowledging that there were these sort of systemic mental health and lifestyle challenges that you were facing or or you weren't facing? A lot of people tend to be discarded as survivors, just go home and live your life, and here they are actually being, I guess, conscious and almost empathetic of you. Well, it's interesting because obviously I was a bit naive. I didn't catch the connection uh, of having it be a stressful situation. And at that time, I was really struggling and really fighting to get back physically and emotionally. And hearing that, it had little or no effect on me uh, at the beginning, what did have an effect on me, which uh, I don't want to use the word unfortunate, because now what you what you do there uh, at Stupid Cancer with your pure counseling is, and this is something I'm reminded of when I went to the event in Las Vegas, is that the overwhelming theme of nearly every single one of the group sessions and every single one of the persons I met and every single person that sat down and had a conversation with was about isolation, about isolation. And what I didn't recognize was <clears throat> part of that post-traumatic stress could have been relieved by having someone to talk to, by someone to share who 
can recognize and has dealt with what I'm going through or what I was going through at the time. And that's why I believe that what you do here, when I say you, I mean everyone at the Stupid Cancer organization and everyone involved, it's so valid and it's so important. And I really could have used it. And it would have been such an amazing benefit for what I was going through, for that stress, that post-stress. Would have been nice just to sit down and have a conversation with someone so I wouldn't feel so isolated. And it's weird and it's strange, I know, for people to comprehend that isolation can be incredibly stressful. Well, I think that reinforces everything we talk about here for the past 10 years. And, and part of the reason why I founded the organization is I went through the same thing 20 years ago. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a shame it still happens 20 years later, especially when we're in this dawn of information and connectivity and communities out there. Isolation is still the number one reported sort of side effect, if you would, of adolescents and young adults when we when they're surveyed and when people come to our conferences. And I'm really glad to hear that you had a great time in Vegas. Th those were good days <laughs> in Vegas. Oh, they were. That, they were fantastic. And everyone it, it and part of the idea of these events is not only the knowledge, not only uh, spreading the information and sharing with what you do and how people connect with it. It was all of these people being together in the same location and being able to look at each other and, and share what they've gone through and listen and realize that they're not alone. And although everybody's stories are individual, there's a similar through line of dealing with cancer. And I could really feel that those events, people took it with them because I've gone to a few of our meetups here in Los Angeles, and that energy, that synergy that was at the larger events like Vegas and, and all those other locations, they, they, people carry it with them. It's permeating, and you can feel it. It's tangible when you sit down with someone. We're nodding on the radio, so you can't see what we're yeah. doing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, but what you were I'm saying. I'm gesturing as well. Yeah, what you were saying about how um, the – like just being able to get together with your peers mm -hmm. helps with the stress. I've heard the same thing too from a lot of people who uh, come to uh, stupid cancer meetups. They say it's nice to kind of like, they feel like they can let their guard down that they're not being judged, like that they're in kind of like a safe setting where they don't necessarily feel like that they have to be strong and they can say stuff like there, there are things, you know, there are jokes that I crack around my stupid cancer friends that I might not make outside of the group yep. because that's the kind of point when you get, you know, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she just said that or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah, there, there are situations which and I've described this before to people because a lot of people uh, and I hope that people who are listening to this are not only people who've gone through the struggle, but friends and family and caregivers. And that was something else that I found really fascinating when I went to the event is that I honestly didn't think much about everyone else who's affected by that one person who goes through it. And all of those other people are, in a way are all affected differently. And how do they communicate to you? And how do you communicate back? And it really opened my mind and my, and my consciousness and my awareness that I had to just be more open about where I was. And oftentimes now, 
people will invite me and they'll to let's say a dinner or to have a drink somewhere, and I share with them and I I, I share them up um, up front and I say, uh, if there's a lot of noise in this place or it's very crowded and there's not a lot of space, I'll, I will often feel overwhelmed. Uh, so if we could go at a time where it's less crowded, I would love to. Otherwise because of the side effects of the chemotherapy, I have a little issue with noise uh, and, and spacing. So if that's okay with you, let's see what we can uh, come together with and, and figure it out. So it really benefited me being able to learn that it's okay to communicate even to people who haven't gone through the struggle. Well, yeah, it's that permission to be yourself and acknowledge that what happened to you wasn't your fault and you did your best to get through it and they're here and what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. So let's get to the amazing stuff you're doing now. You have an incredibly enviable career, uh, having worked with such comedians as Robin Williams, Margaret Cho, Richard Belzer. You, you've done voiceover work for, for dozens of things. I, I'm reading here that you're currently producing only, only just four original short films, you know, debuting this <laughs> month. Uh, where does that energy come from, or is it obvious that you're just driven to share and, and, and be a part of what everyone needs to know who you are? Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I'll flash back for two seconds to when I was in the hospital and I got out and uh, I got a phone call from a friend of a friend who had to be in the hospital for 24 hours. And he knew my story. He knew that I was in the hospital for 73 days and I was hooked up to two machines and I couldn't leave. He called me and he, and he expressed how challenging it was to be there for 24 hours, the claustrophobia that he felt the intensity. And even though I didn't know him that well, I had met him three times. He said, I didn't know how strong your spirit is until I was in that hospital for 24 hours. And I thought to myself, wow, you're right. And he said, you know what? You are relentless. Your spirit is relentless. And that became my new favorite word, relentless. I like that word. And so I, when people ask me questions or uh, wonder about how I do all these things and how I get them done, I just say, be relentless, be unreasonable, just do it. Well said. So your website is uh, Paul Loudon, P-A-U-L-L-A-U-D-E-N.com. You have a Comedy Cures Cancer program coming up. Uh, you want to talk about the Brenda Melling Cancer Fund? Yes. Uh, when I got sick, I was in that category of men between the ages of 18 and 40. Uh, there weren't a lot of groups out there that I was aware of. And I reached out to everyone. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to get much support. Uh, however, the Brenda Mellon Cancer Fund contacted me and they really helped me out, uh, not just by uh, providing some financial assistance, but doing other aspects similar to what you're doing. And from that point on, when I got better, uh, I started speaking at their engagements and their fundraisers and sharing my story. And one day I was chatting with Jason Price. He was one of the members of the Brenda Melling Cancer Fund. They have a rotating system there of volunteers. And I said, what more can I do to help you guys, to help other people with cancer? Uh, you know, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, you're a funny guy. Well, why don't you just make some videos and, and do some events? It was as simple as that. And I went out and did it, and I have had three really big events 
The last one was in downtown LA in the Arts District at Kess Pro Studios last March, or the prior March. There were over 350 people. We had uh, Slam and Sliders food trucks. We had beer sponsors. We had the Stone Brewery. They're, they're the makers of Arrogant Bastard, who I now have made videos called Arrogant Bastard. Uh, we had classic cars. We had a step and repeat with photographers. We had a DJ. We had a, a group fly in from Florida, a friend of mine from high school, Elena, uh, to perform a Latin jazz band. It was just a fantastic, incredible event. And we raised thousands and thousands of dollars. And now I'm thinking about what can I do next? What could I possibly do with stupid cancer? What could I do uh, for other groups and anyone that needs the support now that I'm in the position to do so? Well, I think we could definitely take you up on that uh, opportunity and, and uh, off offline talk to you about what's going on on the West Coast. We're really ramping up some exciting efforts, uh, which, again, we can talk about. I get to L.A. a lot. We're having a conference in Irvine in October, which you're welcome to join us at. We could find some time to maybe grab a drink or whatever. But we got about a minute left, and I wanted to sort of put this in a nice bond that keeps people excited about what you're putting together. Um, what I had asked uh, Melinda earlier um, what was the one thing that you wished you would have had? And I think you really very cohesively summed that up up here, knowing you're not alone, so I'm going to talk to reduce that stress. But what is your message? And I hate even asking this question because it's so obvious, but people listen to the show, apparently, and they want to hear what people have to say. And what would be something you could tell somebody or you'd want somebody today to know if they were diagnosed right now? Simply put, find your joy. Whether your joy is sports, your joy is your faith, your joy is in making people laugh. So while you're going through all these difficulties and these hardships, and even when you recover, because what people don't realize is that, and I try to explain this to the average person. When I say average, I mean average person who has not had cancer. Getting sick or an illness is standing in front of a small pond and throwing a large boulder, boulder right into the water and having this massive splash. But then these ripples keep coming back and keep coming back. And it seems like these ripples go on forever. But if you have that joy in what you do during that big splash or while that ripple effect is continuing for the rest of your life, you'll have that joy within you and that will guide you through it. It was powerful imagery. Good stuff. My pleasure. Paul Lawden. Uh, sorry, Paul Loudon. I think you probably preferred Paul Loudon. Um, you no, know, as long as people watch my videos and have a good time, <laughs> it'd be you anything. Can call me Joe Blow, Mr. Paul, Tall Paul, the Cracker Jack, whatever you like. I'm here. All right. You are uh, online at paulloudon.com. You're on Twitter at uh, Paul Loudon. And um, very exciting stuff. Uh, we encourage everyone to check him out. We'd love to get you more involved, take advantage of your willingness to support uh, a, an organization that we hope has helped you, which you've been very uh, clear about. Uh, any Vegas alumni is a friend of mine. I'm glad you were there. <laughs> and uh, good stuff, man. Congratulations on uh, being, uh, I, I, again, do you like the word cancer-free, remission, cure? What's your, what's, your, what's your poison? Well, two things. First of all, for everyone who's listening and you want to smile, you want to laugh and you want to be amused, go to YouTube and put in Channel Surfing Studios. Don't forget Studios, otherwise you'll find a cooking show. Channel <laughs> Surfing Studios. Uh, my word of choice, which I coined about two years ago, and I love the fact that everyone has 
borrowing it, stealing it, use it because that's what it's there for. When I recovered and I went out and started kicking ass and doing stuff, I transitioned from a survivor to a thriver. And that's the word for the day. Thriving. The day. Good thriver. Stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, Paul Loudon works in many capacities, sometimes as an actor, writer, producer with his company, Channel Surfing Studios. He creates original content and then organizes fundraiser screenings for people struggling with cancer. Paul, true champion for the cancer movement. Thank you, and uh, God bless. God bless everyone. It was a pleasure to be Yep. Good stuff. Not bad for a season 19 premiere. I know. <laughs> and you're still here, Melinda. Woo! Made it. So, all right. So, you've been involved since God knows when, 2007, 8, 9. What do you, what would you say from a historical, almost an anthropologic, <laughs> has been the most interesting thing in the last 10 years for stupid cancer that you've experienced? Just to see it grow. Like, I can just see it in the, like, my circle of, like, I call them my stupid cancer friends or my stupid cancer family, that it's, for me, it's grown outside of the New York area. Like, I have what I consider a stupid cancer family in all over the country now. Like, people that I will, you know, message on Facebook or text when I'm having a bad day and just to see it grow and just the impact that it's had on people is just amazing. I think that's fair. I mean, I live in my own little bubble, so yeah. you're in the, the the larger bubble as in my bubble, so you can see it from that perspective. I mean, I I know clearly we've grown, we're a big deal now, but just to hear how you you benefited from it, and now you're like totally jacked in to everything it is. Yeah, like I'm disappointed that I can't go to West <laughs> because there are people I want to see. All of those West Coast people. Yes, all yeah. of those fabulous West Coast people who I'm not going to get to see because I I get the amazing opportunity to, um, with my new job, work on the New York City Marathon. Yeah, that's a so big deal. So I'm super excited about that. And also, um, OMG West falls on my wedding anniversary. So Yeah, I would. And Italia's wedding itself, too. Really? Yeah. Ah. Otherwise, she would have come out to... Uh... To the conference. No, her wedding to Robbie isn't that her honeymoon isn't that weekend? Oh no, her, I think her, that might be her honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's her wedding. Yeah, it's it, that she couldn't go because that whole wedding marriage thing ah. that that we tend to do ideally. So we can chat about that over the weekend. Then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so. To all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, that's our show, the 394th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Melinda Hood and Paul Loudon. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Find us online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from downtown Manhattan, on behalf of the team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening. 
and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye, folks.